0: Well, day everybody. How you going? Good to see you. My name is Pastor Timon Benson. If you haven't met me yet and you were invited by a family member or a friend, we're so grateful that you would have come to our outdoor all-in service. Just some things to let you know about that are happening in the life of our church. Uh, for the past two weeks, we've been having a, an appeal uh, for the Philippines. Uh, if you haven't heard, the Philippines were hit by a Category 5 hurricane. Uh, a number of weeks ago, and so we've been seeking to put together a gift by which we might be able to bless the people of the Philippines. So if you can pray about that, and uh, if you feel that God is leading you to, uh, and you want to uh, contribute to that appeal, that appeal is going to be closing tomorrow, so make sure you put that on uh, an envelope, or, or set, you might want to send your bank details into David with you know, an amount that you would like to give to that uh, appeal to the Philippines, but we are really praying that we'd be able to bless the the people in the Philippines and really be able to care for them at this time where they're in great need. Uh, As Jeff also said, we're going to be voting on our budget next week and we are all excited about next year as we seek to go deeper and wider. But this morning we are continuing our series called God in the Midst of the Storm. And we are doing this series because this year has been a year of storms. If you think back um, earlier in the year, There was the bushfires that we went through as a state. And then of course, the coronavirus hit. And over the last month, we've had uh, all this political unrest in the United States and a trade war with China. I can't remember in living memory a year like we've had in 2021. And yet not only have we been encountering storms in our world, but I know that many of you have been encountering storms in your personal lives. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you have gone through relational difficulty. Some of you have struggled with your mental health this year. And it's so easy when we come to the end of a year just to think, well, that was 2020, and Jan first comes and we think, well, now everything's gonna change. It's gonna be all different this year in 2021. And while I am looking forward to 2021, I think it's very important for us to ask a very serious question, And that is this question, God, what have you been trying to teach me through the storm? What have you been trying to teach me, God, in the midst of the storm? And last week we saw in Mark chapter 4 that Jesus commands his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. He, He commands them and they go through a storm. And this is so their fear in the storm will be transformed into faith in him. But this morning, I want to look at Mark 6, because Jesus again tells his disciples to go into a storm. So if you have your Bibles, just open them up to Mark 6 and verse 45. We read this, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat. This is the verb of compulsion. He forces his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And when he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So Jesus is up on the mountain praying, and the disciples are in the boat, crossing over to the other side, verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Now, I want you to note the timing here. Sometime before evening, Jesus told his disciples, get in a boat, go to the other side. Evening comes, Jesus is on top of the mountain. The disciples are in the middle of the lake. And as it says, they are making headway painfully for the wind was against them. A little bit like the wind is against me this morning as I'm preaching. The wind was against them. That the, the, the word there in Greek for making painfully against the wind is the idea that the wind was tormenting them. It was coming against them. And then we read in verse 48, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Now, once again, notice the timing. Sometime early before evening, Jesus told his disciples, go to the other side. At evening time, he looks out. They are making headway painfully against the wind. They're they're, they're, they're straining at the oars, trying to make it across to the other side. And then at the fourth watch of the night, do you know when, what time that was? That's 3 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning, so they've been struggling all night. He came to them, walking on the sea. And we read this, he meant to pass by them. Now, that's very, very interesting. He comes walking on the sea, and he means to pass by them. That verb there, pass by them, is used in the Old Testament to describe how Moses once said to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. And God hid Moses in the cleft of a rock, and his glory passed by Moses. So Jesus comes walking on the water, and he intends to show them his glory, who he is as the divine son of God. But what do we read in verse 49? We read this. But when they saw him... "'Walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, "'and they cried out, for they saw him, "'and they were terrified. "'Instead of seeing his glory, "'instead of crying out to him "'and asking him to help them, "'they think he's a ghost, and they are terrified. "'But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, "'Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid.' And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. I thought that would be a perfect moment if the wind just ceased for me right there. (laughs) And the wind ceased. No, didn't work a second time. And they were utterly astounded. They were utterly astounded. Now, this same word is the word used to describe the crowd's response to Jesus, not the disciples. They can't believe that Jesus has tamed the wind. Now, should they have been astounded? Should they have been astounded from what we learnt last week? No, because in Mark 4, Jesus said, be still, and the wind and the waves were still, but still, they're astounded. And in verse 52, Mark, the gospel writer, he tells us why. He says, for they did not understand about the loaves. They did not learn the lesson of the loaves. You see, this event took place after a long day. And earlier that day, Jesus had fed the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 was one miracle. this one miracle that is found in all four gospels. And it's a very important miracle. And, it, and Jesus was teaching his disciples a very, very important lesson. But because they had not learned that lesson... When they came to the wind and the waves, instead of seeing Jesus for who he was, they were terrified. They were afraid. You know, in the midst of your storms this year that you've gone through, I wonder, have you recognized Jesus coming to you in the midst of your storms? Have you seen his hand at work in your life in the midst of your storms? Maybe you haven't, and maybe it's because you have never learned the lesson of the loaves. Now, what is the lesson of the loaves? Well, come back class, and we're going to look at earlier that day, the lesson of the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000. Look in verse 30 in your Bibles. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. You see, Jesus had sent his disciples out two by two on a mission trip. And he'd given them authority over evil spirits. And he'd given them authority in order to heal the sick. In fact, in, verse, in chapter 6 and verse 12, we read, So they went out, the disciples, and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so these apostles now have returned to Jesus. And they tell him all about what's happening. You know, it would have been exciting to learn how, how even the demons com- that could command the demons. It would have been exciting to see... Um, people healed through their hands. And so they tell Jesus all about it. And in verse 31, we read this. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So Jesus says to his disciples, let's now come away. You come away with me, and let's spend some time together. Because the ministry had been so busy. And we read this in verse 32. So they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. So Jesus and his disciples, they go off in this boat to this desolate place to spend time with Jesus after being out on mission. But all the people in the towns, they see where Jesus and his disciples are going and they beat him to that place. And so when Jesus comes off the boat, there is this large crowd. Verse 34, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You know, in the Old Testament, the shepherds of Israel were supposed to be the priests and the, um, and the kings and the prophets. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And as the shepherds of God's people, they were meant to protect God's people and care for God's people and feed God's people. But as Jesus looks out at this large crowd who have gathered, they are like sheep without a shepherd. They have no one to care for them. They have no one to protect them. They have no one to guide them spiritually. And Jesus sees their spiritual need and he begins to teach them. And when it grew late, verse 35, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, you've got to get the tone of the disciples at this point. The disciples are like, Jesus, I thought this was our opportunity to spend time with you, Jesus. This was our opportunity to rest, but you know, this great crowd has come and you just wanted to spend time with the crowd and teach the crowd. Send the crowd away, Jesus so that they can buy themselves something to eat. You know, the disciples didn't have the vision of Jesus. They didn't see people the way that Jesus saw people. Sadly, if we have not learned the lesson of the loaves, we won't see people the way that Jesus sees people. All the disciples saw the people as was as a problem. A problem that was getting in the way of their rest time with Jesus. I wonder, how do you see people? How do you see the people around us? How do you see the crowds? Do you see them like Jesus sees them? As sheep without a shepherd? As people who are lost and harassed and need Jesus? Or do you just see them as a problem? Getting in the way of your comfortable life. This is how the disciples saw the people. They did not see them as Jesus saw them. They did not have the vision of Jesus. And sadly, if we have not learned the lesson of the loaves, then we will not see the great needs out there in our community. We will not see people as Jesus sees people. We will see them as problems. And we'll miss out on the opportunities that God might have for us. Now, Jesus, he turns to his disciples, and he says this very powerful thing to them. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, when you trace it down, this is the first time in the Gospels where Jesus is putting the need back into the hands of the disciples. The disciples can see the problem, but they can't see the solution. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So many times people people come to me with problems. There's this problem, there's this problem, there's this problem. And they don't actually realise that maybe what God wants them to do is not only see the problem, but see that they are the one who is meant to be the solution to the problem. Now, one of my lecturers, my very first day of seminary, when I went to train to be a pastor, he taught on this passage. And he said, this passage teaches us a number of ministry realities. He says, ministry reality number one, the need is always great. Ministry reality number one, the need is always great. You can see that the disciples, they come back to Jesus and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Can you see the sarcasm in what the disciples are saying, uh, an average laborer's day wage was one denarii. So, 200 denarii would have been about eight months of wages. They say, Jesus, do you really want us to feed, as we're going to find out, these 5,000 men, probably 10,000 people, do you really want us to feed them? You see, ministry reality number one is this, is that the need is always great. And the reason that the need is always great when it comes to ministry is because of this, is because Jesus only knows how to give out one type of assignment, and that is Jesus-size assignments. God gives out God-size assignments. Jesus says to His church, go into just some of the world and make disciples of all nations go into part of the world and make disciples of all nations. What does Jesus say? Go into how much of the world? All of the world. That's a God-sized assignment. And so don't be surprised in ministry if you have needs, because in ministry, the need is always great. Secondly, Dr. Lawrence said, the second ministry reality is that the resources are always few. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Five and two fish. Ministry is always like feeding 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish. The disciples were thinking, that seals it, Jesus. That's it, Jesus. You won't ask us to feed the 5,000. We only have five loaves and two fish. But Dr. Lawrence, he said to us, even though ministry is always, the need is always great and the resources are always few, he said the third ministry reality is this, we have Jesus, we have Jesus, we have the divine son of God on our side. Look at what happens down in verse 39, and he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass, much like we're sitting here this morning, so they sat down in groups by fifties, and by hundreds. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Who was it who fed the 5,000? It was the disciples. They fed the 5,000 through Jesus. They brought to Jesus their five loaves and two fish, Jesus took the loaves, he broke them, he blessed them, he gave them back to the disciples, and it fed the 5,000. Now look down in verse 42, we read, and they all ate and were satisfied. Now growing up in my church, we used to have um, potluck dinners, and hence my favorite, favorite food is potluck. I just love potluck. So like, you know, I just love it when you have a tuna mornay, You have a spaghetti bolognese. You mix it all together with someone's, you know, zucchini slice. It's just the best. Who here loves potluck, man? I love potluck. It's like the best, you know. You know, Grandma would bring out her favorite tuna mornay. It'd be awesome. I loved it. But oftentimes in our little church, my my mom would look at what had been bought by everyone, and she would say to us, kids, you're going to have to just don't don't, don't eat. Don't eat tonight, kids, because, you know, you'll eat when you get home because there won't be enough. And so there were some times when we went hungry, but not at the feeding of the 5,000. They all went away satisfied. And not only that, we read this in verse 43, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Why 12 baskets? Well, there was 12 disciples. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that in ministry, when you give to Jesus, when you give it to Jesus, Jesus will not only supply the need, but he can go more than what you need. Our God is able to do immeasurably more than what we think or even imagine. Who believes that? Who believes that here this morning? Do you believe that? God is able to do immeasurably more. Jesus just didn't feed the 5,000. He supplied more leftovers for the next day. Isn't that amazing? And so here was the lesson of the loaves, as Dr. Lawrence said it, He said, the lesson of the loaves, and I know I've said this many times to our church before, but it needs to be said again, the lesson of the loaves is this, is you must do what you cannot do with what you do not have for the rest of your life. That's ministry. You must do what you cannot do with what you do not have for the rest of your life. That's ministry. The Christian life, my friends, is not just hard, it's impossible without Jesus. You need the empowering work, of God's Holy Spirit, for you to do anything in your life, in your Christian life. So you must do what you cannot do with what you do not have. But here's also the lesson of the loaves, is that He will do what He can do through you. You must do what you cannot do with what you do not have, but He will do what He can do through you. If you give Him your five loaves and two fish, He can multiply it in His hands, and He could feed 5,000 people, or over 5,000 people. So that was the lesson of the loaves, my friend. And then Jesus sets up an opportunity for them to learn that lesson. He sends them out on the lake. They are straining at the oars, unable in their own strength to make it across to the other side. Jesus comes walking on the water. He intends to pass by them. I think what he wanted to do was he wanted to pass by them, stand in front of them, shelter them from the wind and the waves so that they would be able to cross to the other side. But sadly, they missed it. They were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. And John says the reason that they did, verse 52, is because they didn't understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. They had a theoretical knowledge of who Jesus was, but they didn't have a living, active faith in the divine Son of God. In fact, later on in in Mark's gospel, we'll find out that the reason for their hardness of heart was their heart was set on something else rather than Jesus. Peter's heart was not set on serving Jesus. It was set on serving himself, as Jesus said, In Mark 8. And as a church, as we look to 2021 and God calls us to go deeper and wider, He's calling us to do things that we cannot do in our own strength. He wants us to go deeper in the Word, deeper in prayer, deeper in worship, deeper in discipleship. He wants us to go wider. He wants us to go wider and plant a Chinese congregation. He wants us to go wider and plant another church. We can't do this in our own strength but that's okay. Who do we have? Who do we have? Do you believe it? He could do immeasurably more than what we ask or imagine. But we may miss it if we have hardened hearts, if our hearts are set on something else. You know, if I said to Tegan at our anniversary, darling, I love you, and this 26 years of marriage, I've been 95% faithful to you. What do you think she'd do to me? She would slap me. Because when it comes to marriage, 95% faithfulness, while at any sort of school, that would be a great grade, when it comes to marriage, 95% faithfulness is unfaithfulness. And when it comes to God, God just doesn't want us to give Him half allegiance or a little bit of allegiance. He wants full devotion. He wants wholehearted surrender. You know, there is a difference between a gift card and a check and a blank check. If you write someone a blank check, you're basically saying, I'm trusting you with my resources. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to spend this check on, you can just write in the amount... And I'm trusting you. But when you give someone a gift card, like a $50 or $100 gift card, you've capped how much they can spend. You know, sadly, many of us, we give God gift cards. We say, God, I'll give you this much of my life. I'll give you this much of my life. I'll give you this much of my life. God doesn't want a gift card. God wants a blank check. He wants us to write in a blank check and say, God, you spend my life however you want us, you to spend it. You know, Keith Green is a bit of a hero of mine, and uh, in his biography, he speaks about how he, he realized that music was, was occupying too much of his heart, too much of his life. And so, this um, one time, he decided to give up music. He decided to put it on the altar, and he said, God, I will never play again. I will never sing again because music is occupying too much of my heart. And so he put it on the altar. And so for 18 months, Keith Green wrote no new songs and did no new performances. But then he felt after putting it on the altar that God gave it back to him again. And once he had put it on the altar and once God gave it back to him again, it was then that he wrote all those beautiful songs that we know today. You see, maybe God is calling you to put something on the altar because you've been serving something other than King Jesus. And maybe he wants you today to say, I'm not partially in, I am all in. This is our all in service. And we don't just want it to be a a gathering where we go all in together and gather together. We want this to be a service where we say to King Jesus, we are all in with you. Lord, whatever you want, however you want to use my life, I want to give it to you. Because the lesson of the loaves is this, you must do what you cannot do with what you do not have, but he will do what he can do through you. You know, there's a young man here today, and I'm really, really blessed by him. I've just forgotten his name again. What's his name? Was... Gratian. Gratian, where are you? James. James, stand up. Where is James? Stand up for us. I saw you. There he is. Let's give James a round of applause. but he doesn't need that. But I was so blessed because you know what James is doing? James is going all in. He is moving to Canberra to be part of our Canberra church plant, going all in to see the gospel go forward. That's all in devotion. God is calling us as a church, every single one of us in different ways to go all in. To say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. I want to go all in. Because when we give everything up to him, Whatever we give to him, he will take, he will bless, and then what will he do? He will use it for his purposes. So maybe you need to do that this morning. Let me pray for us as we gather in the Lord's presence. Lord, oftentimes you lead us to these moments, altar moments, when you call us to go all in for your glory and your namesake. Lord, we come to you today. We just praise you, we worship you, we honor you. Lord, we recognize that ministry done in the flesh will never achieve what you want because the flesh profits nothing. So Lord, we wanna put ourselves in your hands. Lord, many people are in the midst of the storm and the storm is right where they, you put them so that they will give up control and hand over and surrender their lives to you and go all in with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that today for your glory and honor's sake so that you can be glorified in our lives, so that you can do immeasurably more than what we ask or even imagine for the glory of King Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in his name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship together.